0: You know, as we study this book, and like I said, we, as I've studied it and I've continued to, to spend time in it, there's so many things that are wonderful. And we know that the theme of this book is manual on forgiveness. And the reality is, that it, as I considered preparing the last couple of weeks, you know, we could spend weeks and weeks, we could spend months talking about forgiveness, the implications of it, what the need for it, how it's accomplished, all of these things, and there has been I looked just, just on one, one uh, kind of library app that I use and found over 40 books with the title forgiveness in, the, in, in it, or, or with the word forgiveness in it. And so there's libraries filled with books on forgiveness. Uh, and so we will definitely not be able to talk about everything that the Lord has to say about forgiveness, everything that the Bible has to say about forgiveness. But my hope is as we study today is the C4 principles that we can see in this passage that will help our understanding or hopefully remind us of what the Bible has to say about forgiveness. Again, not exhaustive and not complete, but hopefully helpful to us as we consider what does it mean to live out our lives in a way that honors the Lord. You know, by way of reminder, we, we see this book as a, as a book where Paul is talking directly to a brother in Christ, right? This is a personal letter, and it was eventually it was read in, in the church, and it's become a helpful part of the canon of Scripture, but it was really a letter from Paul to Philemon as he is dealing with some issues with Onesimus, Philemon's runaway slave. And we see how Paul has worked through that. We, we saw uh, originally in, in, in Milt's lesson on it about how highly Paul regarded Philemon. How he he believed and trusted him as a believer in Christ. He was encouraged by the testimony of Philemon that others had been encouraged by Philemon. And and you see Paul respects and honors Philemon as a brother. And then last week we saw a picture of you know, we talked about a picture being worth a thousand words. We, we saw a picture. We see a real-life example of what a brother in Christ does. How a brother in Christ should address issues in the church and with another believer. And we saw Paul's gracious humility. And as he works through this issue, he doesn't come in and say, you have to do what I say because I'm Paul. He says, let me show you why I think you should do this. And it gives us great, hopefully, uh, advice on how we need to deal with issues in the church. And now we turn more into the request and more into Paul working through this issue. And we really see, as Paul goes through this, four, and there's actually a bonus in there, so five, uh, principles for a proper understanding of forgiveness Again, this isn't exhaustive, but I think it will be helpful for us. So let's read together the passage, and we'll go from there. I'm going to, first of all, make sure my notes are in the right order, because they do not seem to be. That's why. Forgive me. If I get my notes out of order, we're all in trouble, okay? All right, let's read chapter or Philemon in verses 15 through 19. Paul says, Perhaps, for perhaps he, that's Onesimus, was for this reason separated from you, Philemon, for a while, that you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention that you owe to me, even your own self as well. So we're right in the midst of this, this section, and so we just need to look briefly back at what Paul is saying, because he says, for, for perhaps, right? He's connecting this sentence with the sentence before, the, the, the content before. and He says earlier that this slave, Onesimus, is a child of Paul, and he's become a believer through the ministry of Paul, even as Paul is imprisoned. And he says, he was formerly useless to you, but now is useful both to you and me. And he says, you know, this is is different. God has changed him. And he says, I wish to keep him with me, right? Selfishly, I would keep him with me, but I'm sending him back so that basically y'all can get things right. So that you can work through this issue and come to peace. He says, I didn't want to, to, you know, I wanted to keep him, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that without your consent. And then he says that he wants this to happen because Philemon does the right thing. Because Philemon's heart is softened towards Onesimus so that he would do that of his own free will. And then he points to a reality, and, and one of the realities that we all have to understand as we consider forgiveness is that forgiveness really starts with the work of God. He says, you know, perhaps, and when Paul says that, again, Paul knew what he's talking about, right? He says, but, but think about this, Philemon. Perhaps he was taken away so that this would happen so that God would accomplish the salvation of Onesimus and would give an opportunity, even in this situation, for God's family to show what it means to forgive. You think about it. I mean, this this episode of life between these three men, had Paul not written about it, no one would have ever known. Right? None of us would have ever had any clue about a slave named Onesimus. And we would have, you know, heard maybe again, there are a couple of names mentioned in in Colossians, but we would really know nothing about any of this. And yet Paul says, you know, perhaps this has all happened so that God may be glorified in this, so that, that we could see the work of the Lord. And I love that Paul has that mindset in his life. Is it easy sometimes in our lives when things go wrong to forget that God is sovereignly ordaining all the things that happen? Is it easy to to, to lose sight of the reality that God controls all of our circumstances and He does everything He does for a purpose? Yeah, I think it is. It's real easy to think about sickness or illness or death or traffic or any of those things and think, oh, why today of all days? Why did this have to happen to me? Right? But here's Paul in this circumstance and he's able to say, you know what? Don't ever forget that God is using this God is not only allowing this to happen, He's orchestrating this, He's preparing this. And so, I think that's a, a biblical principle that we need to consider is that God is working. The root of all of our circumstances, all of our strife amongst family and friends, amongst coworkers, amongst spouses, amongst children and parents is all part of God's plan. You know, that's the the picture that Joseph had. You know, as we've studied through Genesis, when I first came on board, we were just finishing up the book of Genesis. But that book is, is obviously a wonderful book, but it ends with the story of Joseph, where you see Joseph hated by his brothers. They were going to kill him, and they decide, no, instead of killing him, let's make some money off this. We'll put him in slavery. We'll sell him, and he'll get sent to hard labor. And we see even in that, God is blessing him, giving him a position, a favor, and then he's thrown in prison, not through his own fault. But then he's finally released from prison and become become the highest or second highest in command over the entire nation of Egypt, and God used him to save not only uh, the nation of Egypt, but Israel and his family. And at the end of all of that, as Joseph is talking to his family, he says these things. In, In Genesis 45, verses 7 and 8, he says, God sent me before you, to preserve for you a remnant in the earth, and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Joseph understood that even in the midst of some very, very challenging circumstances, he saw God working, and he was able to see that God is working through that, the brothers were even a little concerned after their father died, like, okay, maybe now Joseph's going to show the, the anger that he's been holding back for however many decades. But in Genesis 50-20, a verse that we've, we've all heard, it says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. And so Joseph understood God's sovereignty, even in the midst of very difficult circumstances. If we are going to be forgiving people, we have to acknowledge the role that God is playing in our lives. I'm not saying it's easy, but understanding that no one, including the person that sinned against you, is outside of God's sovereignty. And that in each circumstance can I learn to see God the right way. It's easy when we're when when someone treats us wrong, when someone does something they shouldn't, to think. Why would God allow that? Why would God allow that? But Paul here says that it may have been that this runaway slave was allowed to run away, and we'll get to the the tense of this verb in just a second, but he's allowed to run away so that God could do a mighty work. We talked about last week the, the reality that Onesimus is now a believer in Christ is an amazing thing. Praise God that this rebellious slave, who was not only a rebellious slave, but a rebellious sinner against God, was saved through the circumstances that God allowed. And so, we need to recognize that if we're going to forgive, we have to realize, first of all, that that God's working in this, every circumstance, every moment of our lives. Now, secondly, it requires a right view of sin, because I think a lot of times when we're dealing with issues of forgiveness, we have a a tendency to um, do two things with sin. Right? We inflate their sin and we deflate our sin. Right? So their sin becomes just this horrifyingly awful thing and my sin becomes you know, understandable. Like, I mean, what else could I do in this situation? See how wrong they were. And Paul here shows us that, that we have to look at sin the right way. And, and I love that the way he does this is he changes, he, I don't think he changes reality, right? He's not trying to change a reality, but he's, he's, he's softening what happened here. This is what he says. He says that um, in verse 15, it was for this reason, he was for this reason separated from you, okay? Now, that's a passive verb. It, it means that Onesimus didn't do it himself, He's pointing to the fact that it was God who ultimately was the the source of this action. But he's he's saying, you know, He was was separated, right? Let's let's think about this. Instead of thinking uh, Onesimus as this horrible person that ran away and was actively rebellious, let's just consider it as He was separated from you. God worked through these circumstances and separated from you. Paul's lowering the level or the softening what Onesimus did and showing that God was involved in this, that God was working in this situation and saying, He separated you. And He also provides a, a really neat picture because sometimes, not any of you I'm sure, but other people, When someone does them wrong, they never forget, right? It stays with them for decades. And it can be one of those things, you get a family member that had a falling out and a family reunion, 20 years later, suddenly you're fighting about something that happened when you were, you know, 15 years old, something that happened when you were 20 or 30, right? And there's some situations where families can hold grudges, people can hold grudges for for the rest of their lives. And Paul says here, let's think about this a little differently, Philemon. He says, he was separated from you for a while. The the word literally in that, it says for an hour. (laughs) For a short time, he was separated from you right? That this, this is a, a short, minor thing. This is a bump in the road that he was separated, but now God has brought him back to you forever, right? The, the, the buildup here is that, that this, this issue, this sin is a minor thing, but this reconciliation that God can accomplish in this situation, that can last forever, If we don't view sin rightly, we can make the the sin, the fight, the issue, the turmoil last forever, and we never even consider reconciliation, right? If we choose to, to look at our sin the wrong way, we look at other people's sin the wrong way, then we won't be able to forgive the way God wants us to. We talked last week about the unforgiving slave, right, and the picture that Jesus taught of someone who was forgiven a debt that literally would be impossible to ever pay back. And he went to a slave who owed him some money, right, a little bit of money by comparison, pennies, and refused to forgive. That's a picture of how I see my sin versus how I see others' sin. How I see my debt versus how I see others' debt. My debt, hey, yeah, God obviously should forgive me. I'm a good guy. I didn't mean to do that. I I, I wasn't intending for that to be what ended up happening. But that guy, boy, that's the one that needs to be God we don't view our sin the right way we won't be able to forgive we see that in the tale of the two sons as well the parable of the two sons the son that was obviously blatantly rebellious you know runs away lives a an awful lifestyle takes his money takes his money from his dad and basically doesn't steal money, but takes it in an inappropriate or improper way. But at the end, he's forgiven. And the older brother, the one who had sat around and been at the house and was quietly rebellious, had a real problem with that because he saw his brother's sin is so much greater than his own. And that his father would forgive his brother of all that sin was just incomprehensible to him. Led me to think, is that how I think about others? Do I think of their sin as this huge issue that God needs to deal with? Whereas my sin is okay. It's, it's excusable, it's understandable. Do I recognize what God has forgiven me of is just as bad as anybody else? <laughs> Everybody else. I mean, that's the thing. When we talk about our sinfulness, all of us are shut up in sin. All of us are completely dominated by sin. And it doesn't matter what the outward expression of that is. Our separation from God is complete and total because of our sin. And so, the fact that any one person is ever forgiven by God is a work of enormous grace and mercy. And so, when we start thinking about and pointing out other people and thinking about what their sin and how bad that is, perhaps we've forgotten how sinful we are how sinful we were, that we needed to recognize our sin. You know, I I find, I I have kids, you know, and I don't know if you, you know, when you had kids, you know, your kids were a lot better than ours, I don't know, but um, there's a lot of time that they want to make sure to point out how their brother or sister's doing something wrong while they're doing something wrong. But the big issue is that the sibling is doing something wrong, right? And so I do, I talk to him occasionally, uh, you know, out of the Sermon on the Mount where, where Jesus says, you know, why do you try to take the, the splinter, the speck out of someone's eye when you have a log in your own eye? That's an easy thing to do. But again, when we have a right view of our sin and a right view of other sin, I'm not saying that others don't sin, but it's so easy to inflate one and deflate ours, right? Inflate their sin as just this horrifying thing and to deflate ours. Paul does that. He says, hey, he was, he was separated, right? He was, he was removed from you for just a little bit so that God might give him back to you permanently. I love that God forgives our sins. You know, it's an easy thing to overlook. I think that's one thing I've been struck with as I've studied this passage, is seeing how challenging it is sometimes to forgive sin horizontally right, between people, how, how difficult that is, just points out how gracious God is. That He would forgive vertically, right, between God and man. Because God, our sin against God is so much greater than anything any person could ever do to us. And yet He is quick to forgive right? He desires to forgive. He, he you know, it, it says he, he leans down to hear the prayers, the penitence of His people. He, he wants to forgive. Boy, what an amazing God we serve. What a picture that is a reminder of how much I should just be so quick to forgive, right? I, I, I was forgiven everything this person cost me nothing, right? This 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 was pennies when I owed billions, trillions. This is God forgiving us far more than we ever, ever would have to forgive another person. You know, I love this picture. In verse 16, he says that, That Onesimus now is no longer just, is kind of the context here, no longer just as a slave, but much more than a slave, a beloved brother. And again, you get this picture of of what Paul is desiring, is that, that he would understand how God has worked in this. That this is not just some person that offended you now, He's not just a slave. That's maybe how Philemon had thought about him for however long Onesimus had been his slave, right? Maybe his whole life. We don't know. But he's been a thing, a slave, a tool to accomplish something. And Paul says, now, he's not just a slave. He's a beloved brother. He has changed, and that that really is our third Point. Forgiveness involves a change in status. Paul says here, we have not just, you don't just have this slave that's a disobedient slave that you need to deal with. You have a brother in Christ. He's not the same person he was when he left, he's now a brother. You know, for, for Onesimus, that meant a huge thing, right? We have the salvation of Onesimus to deal with, that he was saved by the work of Christ through the ministry of Paul, and now Onesimus is different than he was before. Now, he is supposed to be uh, the, the one that it's, it, Paul refers to in 1 Timothy 6.2, those who have believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but must serve them all the more because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. I love that. Think about it. Onesimus couldn't go back and just be the same old person he was before. We don't know the exact circumstances, but it sounds like Onesimus was not doing his job, (laughs) was not accomplishing his task as a slave. But now, as he goes back, he's going back as a believer that's going to now do everything, whether he eats or drinks, whatever he says, he's going to do all for the glory of God. Just as we are called to. When we're forgiven... We're forgiven and our status changes, right? We go from being enemies of God to His beloved children. We we go from being uh, love the world and the things of the world and all the things that the world offer to to recognizing the dangers of the world and to, to desire to separate ourselves from it, to loving the things of God. And so our our status changes when God forgives us. Don't ever forget that. That our status changes, and yes, that impacts the rest of our lives. We go back into the world just like Onesimus, now not just a slave, but a Christian slave. We, We go out into the world not just as a father, but as a Christian father. Not, not just as a driver, but a Christian driver. Right? Not just as a, as a member of a church, but as a Christian in fellowship with the family of God. It changes our status when God forgives us. It should change our view of others as well. You know Paul doesn't say here to, to Philemon, don't ever forget what Onesimus cost you. Don't ever don't ever let him forget how bad he used to be. No, he says, you need to look at him, consider him as a beloved brother. You know I love the, the, the reality is in this letter we have several people called brother by Paul. We have Timothy. Right? Well, we know Timothy. He's a good guy. Paul's, Paul's uh, selected, you know, pastor, he trained him and taught him, and we have great respect for Timothy. We have Philemon, who we've learned about and now I think can say, yeah, this was an honorable man, a man who was honoring the Lord in what he did and walking faithfully with God called a brother by Paul. And here he says in Onesimus, he's a brother. In Christ, we are brothers. Whatever we were before, we are now brothers. And Paul says, you need to consider him, think about him as far more than just a slave far more than just that sin that he did against you. You need to, and you must consider him as a brother, right? He's a beloved brother, Paul says, especially to me. Again, we just get this picture that something about this relationship is very unique and special to Paul. don't know exactly what it was, but you know how that is. There, even in the the fellowship of the, the family of God, right? There's those people that just, it's a connection there, right? It, it doesn't matter if you just met them yesterday, there's something about them that really just draws your heart to them, and that's a wonderful thing. That's part of what God wants us to do. But when we see this picture, is Paul's just, he's, he's a beloved brother, right? He's especially to me, but, but he says, but Philemon... How much more to you? He says, if you haven't figured it out, Philemon, I love this person. We already said, I'm sending my heart, right? That I, I desire for him to be with me, and yet he should be special to you too. You know, it is special. I think this happens, obviously, in our, in, in our lives sometimes when we have... Uh, family members that rejected the gospel, rejected our pleas for them to come to know the Lord. And yet then eventually the Lord worked and they believed. And we now just have this extra special bond, right? Extra just overwhelming connection because we know that now there's a connection between us that goes beyond our flesh and blood. And that's what Paul points to, not just in the flesh, but in the Lord. Change in status is important. Not just, but more than. I like that. One of the, one of the uh, commentators used that phrase over and over again. As believers, we're not just, we're more than. We're not just church members, we're more than. That. We're family, right? Our, our, we're not just workers. We're more than that. And again, it, it as we think about forgiveness, it always has a cost attached to it. It always has a cost attached to it. Paul says... In verse 17 and 18, if then you regard me as a partner, so again, that's kind of one of those like phrases that, say that you should hopefully have Philemon saying, well, duh, of course I think of you as a partner, Paul, right? But he's just saying, you know, just reminding him, if, if you really love me the way I know you do, because we're partners, we've worked together alongside each other, accept him as you would me. Think about Him the same way you think about me. And and if He has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Paul says, I'll take care of whatever there needs to be, right? He he put a scratch in your bumper, I'll take care of that, right? He, he, He cost you a job, I'll figure out a way to take care of that. Paul realized and recognized that that what Onesimus did had an actual impact on Philemon, on the running of the household that Philemon was in charge of. But he says, whatever that was, I'll take care of it. Put that on my account. Why was Paul able to say that? Because he remembered that everything that he had ever done, every sin he had ever committed, every debt he had ever owed had been paid by somebody else. The reality is, is if we forget the work of God in our lives, we will fail to forgive. But if we remember the cost of our forgiveness it'll become easy to forgive others, easier, maybe not always easy. We cannot forget what it cost God to forgive us. God, through Jesus Christ, paid the ultimate price for our forgiveness. Isaiah 53, we we know this passage very well, but it says, Surely our griefs, he himself—that's Jesus Christ himself—bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we esteemed him, or we ourselves esteemed him, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions; he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging. We are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. You know, you can't, I I, I can't read that. I pray, Lord, don't ever let me read that and just go, yeah, sure. That makes sense. Because it doesn't. It doesn't. Praise God that Jesus Christ was willing to pay the cost to bring about reconciliation, to bring about forgiveness for us. Again, when we look to that, when we see the cost of what it took for God to be able to forgive our sins, it should be easy, easy, for us to forgive the sins we encounter amongst each other. You know, it's as though Jesus Christ stands before the Father and says, if he or she has wronged you, God, in any way, put it on my account. I'll pay for it. I've got this. Do we remember what it costs our Lord to forgive us? If so, it will never cost us anything like that to forgive someone else. It becomes so much easier. So we've seen, again, some principles of forgiveness that doesn't cover everything, but does, I think, hopefully give you some encouragement. Seeing the work of God, knowing that God is sovereignly in control of all circumstances, even the sinfulness of other people and what they do, He uses that to accomplish His work. Recognizing the need for a right view of sin, that my sin is not less than their sin. Even if in this circumstance, someone may have truly sinned against me greater than I have sinned against them, that Like it says in Isaiah, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We've all sinned in just different ways. We recognize that forgiveness comes along or involves a change of status. We're not who we used to be. When we forgive someone else, we don't continue to think of them as who they used to be. We forgive them. We can think of them differently. And we're able to do that because ultimately Jesus Christ paid the cost. I said we had a bonus, okay, because it's not completely in this passage, but I felt like it was such a good thing as I studied, I just could not not say it, okay, because I think it's sometimes easy, especially if you're struggling in your life. You're struggling with sin. Maybe you're struggling with the lack of forgiveness, right? You just, you read this and you go, why, why can't I let go of that grudge? What is going on? And is this something that I can get right? we need to remember that God's forgiveness is always complete. It's always complete. God forgives us totally. He doesn't forgive us with strings attached and say, well, if you do it again though, well, all deals are off. He forgives us completely. R.C. Sproul said this, when we sin, one of the most difficult things is for us for us is accepting free, gracious, merciful forgiveness. We are creatures of pride. We think that God's forgiveness is fine for other people, but when we do something wrong, we want to make up for it. However, this is absolutely impossible for anyone to do. God requires perfect holiness. Once perfection is lost, we cannot regain it. We are debtors with a debt we cannot pay. This is difficult for us to accept because we want to be able to pay our own way. It's because of our pride and arrogance, both fruits of our sinfulness, that we refuse to accept the forgiveness of God. And I would add to that, I think sometimes when we try to go back into a transactional mindset with God, Okay, you wipe my slate clean, but now I've got to keep it clean? It's up to me? That's how we treat others. Okay, I'll forgive, but you better not ever do that again. We need to be like our God, who is quick to forgive and forgives abundantly. That, that says, I'm, I'm going to separate all that. I'm not going to think about it anymore. I'm going to just choose not to consider that ever. Can we treat others that way? And that's what Paul's asking Philemon to do here. He's saying, You're, you're going to have to change how you think about this person. May the Lord help us to do that in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we do just thank You so much. As we consider just some, a a, a tiny bit of what You do in Your forgiveness of us, Lord, might it just change our hearts as we consider what others have done against us. Lord, You are so gracious to forgive us our sin. You have forgiven a debt that... Literally, we could never, ever, ever, ever pay back. And you don't hold that over our heads, and you don't tell us, if you ever do that again, you're out. Lord, you are gracious to forgive us. And Lord, help us to do that. Help us to be not like, to not be like the slave who's forgiven so much and then chases down the tiny debts that other owes him. Lord, there is no one, no one in this life that could ever sin against us worse than we sinned against You. Lord, help us to be like You. Help us to be quick to forgive. Help us to see the work that You do in other people's lives and acknowledge that and not just hold them back or hold them in our minds as what they used to be. Lord, might we really, truly forgive from the heart as we work alongside and live alongside fellow believers that are still sinners, that still fail to obey perfectly, that still sin, Lord, just as we do. We continue to sin. We continue to fail. We continue to do things we ought not to do. Lord, help us to be gracious to others just as you continue to be gracious to us. Help us to forgive no matter the circumstances, knowing that you are good and gracious to forgive us of all of our sin. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.